Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Good morning, Seneca Baptist Church. A couple of things. Uh, You saw the video this morning from Foothills Care Center. Um, There's an easy way to support Foothills Care Center. And let me ask this question. How many ever shop on Amazon? Anybody ever buy anything from Amazon? Amazon has a program. It's called smile.amazon.com. Smile.amazon.com. And you can then select a charity that you want a portion of the, 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 your purchase will be donated to that agency. It doesn't cost you any more than what you would have spent, but then Amazon gives a, a percentage of what you spent to the charity of your choice. I have it set up for Foothills Care Center. Every dollar I spend on Amazon, a portion of it goes directly to Foothills Care Center. Easy way to support them. So I just wanted to share that if you weren't aware of it. But you have to log on through smile.amazon.com. Okay? Easy way. Um, I spoke to Pastor Ryan this morning. He would like nothing better than to be here this morning. Pastor, we love you. We understand why you're home. Uh, But it is tearing him up not to be here with us this morning. So I just want you to to be aware of that. But welcome to 2021. Our first Sunday gathering together since the the first first of the year. Um, I heard it said, and it's not original with me, but as the clock struck midnight on the 31st of December, that for the first time ever, hindsight truly was 2020. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. So, but here we are. 2020 has been a challenging year, very challenging year, one like we've never faced before. Who knew that 12 months ago uh, we would have seen a worldwide pandemic? Uh, that would halt travel, shut down our economy, shut our businesses, see the deaths of hundreds of thousands of people uh, who knew that we would face a devastating tornado here in our town, uh, one that would destroy homes in the neighborhood and even cause damage to our church building. Uh, Entering into a new year typically brings hope, doesn't it? Hope for something better, hope for a better year than the one that's just been ushered out. And I I think this year, that sense of hope is probably brighter than, um, than what we've seen in years past. We really hope for a better 2021 than we had 2020. Uh, a vaccine for, vaccine for COVID has been developed and it's beginning to be made, be made available. We're finally seeing homes restored around our neighborhood. We've seen our church building um, repaired and looking better than ever. Um, but despite these positive and encouraging actions, we're still seeing our rise in the number of cases of COVID. Uh, we're seeing increasing death rates from it. Uh, we're hearing talk of further shutdowns, maybe some more restrictions on travel and gathering and dining. With all of these things in mind, I'm going to bring you this morning to one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture, Jeremiah 29, 11. You can probably quote it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. 
This is a very popular verse, right? It's, 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 we see it on inspirational posters, social media hashtags, greeting cards, uh, especially cards for those who are graduating, graduating high school or graduating from college. It's plastered everywhere. Maybe some of you have it displayed somewhere in your home. We do. We've got it on a plaque in our house, home as well. It's easy to understand why that verse is so popular. On the surface, it would appear that this verse is saying something like this, God has big dreams in store for you to ensure safety, prosperity, and success in all your future endeavors. God already has your personal happily ever after ready for you. He's got a detailed step-by-step plan that only God knows to make sure you're going to reach that happy place. On the surface, that's what it sounds like, doesn't it? And that's the way our society tends to, to view that verse. But I hate to break it to you, but that's not exactly the message of Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, unfortunately, I can't find any passage in the Bible that promises you or me or anybody that God has a customized personal plan to make you successful or to keep you safe or to slide you into a happy future where all your wishes come true. If you can find it, let me know, because I haven't seen it. With that in mind, if you'd please, I want to have you turn to two passages that we're going we're gonna to jump back and forth this morning. First, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, you just put a marker there when you find it. Um, they will be up on the screen as well, so if you prefer to follow that way, you can do that. But Deuteronomy 4, and then Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29. So I'm sorry if I ruined your favorite inspirational poster about Jeremiah 29.11. But Jeremiah 29.11 is good news, right? It's, it's, in the, it's scripture. It is good news. But for us to really understand why it's good news and what this good news means for us, we need to understand some basic questions or answer some basic questions about the surrounding passage. If you sat through my, my How to Study the Bible class back in 2018, 2019, you heard me say on more than one occasion that context is king. Context is king when understanding the context of a passage is critical to gain a proper interpretation of what the Bible is saying. And then having a proper interpretation of Scripture then allows us to properly apply it to our lives today. So let's look at some of the basic questions that help us understand the context. One, who is God God through Jeremiah speaking to in Jeremiah 29? What's going on in their world? God talked about a plan for their future, but was this a future God was just going to give them? Or did this future that God offered them come with some conditions? Were there things that they needed to learn or to do in order to become uh, or to become to live out this future that God had planned for them? So another important concept for us to consider is that while Scripture is for us, it wasn't written to us. So if we're going to be responsible Bible readers, we need to raise these kinds of questions about any passage that we're reading. And only after we've answered those questions can we be safe in trying to apply the Bible to our own lives? And we certainly shouldn't try to apply anything in the Bible to someone else's life without first making sure we actually understand what it really means for us. So, Jeremiah 29. If Jeremiah 29, 11 wasn't written to us, who was it written to? What was going on in their world? 
What did God expect from those that it was written to? In order to answer those questions, let's look at the text of our before us this morning. If you would, if you'd honor God's word, let's stand and we'll read Jeremiah 29, beginning at verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people who Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shapham, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel... Do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. And here's our verse. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Your word is powerful sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to understand your word this morning. Speak to us through your word. I ask, Lord, for strength. I need you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So the first verse, the very first verse of this chapter answers our first question. Who was this passage written to? Well, it's clear from verse 1 that Jeremiah wrote these words to exiles, Jewish people had been exiled. They'd been deported from Jerusalem to Babylon. They'd been taken captives to a foreign land, a strange country. It was especially addressed to their leaders, the elders, uh, the priests, and the prophets, and then in turn to all the people. But it started with the leadership. So one of the first things that we need to understand about Jeremiah 29.11 is that it wasn't meant for any one individual. It wasn't written to John Doe. It was written to a broad group of people who were exiles. When God said, I know the plans I have for you, he wasn't speaking to you or to me or to anybody we know personally. God didn't make this promise to any one person. God's plan involved God's people as a group. God spoke these words to a nation that had been around for hundreds of years And they had made every mistake you can possibly make. 
and some nobody had ever thought of yet. They had become a sinful nation. They rebelled. They sinned against God. They sinned against God's commands time after time. This in spite of all of the love and the grace and the mercy and the blessings that God had nurtured them with. Finally, God did what he had repeatedly warned them that he would do. And he let the Babylonians invade their nation, take them prisoners of war, hauled them off to a strange land, to Babylon. Let me show you just how long-suffering the Lord is with his people. The passage before us today, Jeremiah 29, was written around 588 B.C., almost 600 years before Christ was born. Look back with me, if you will, at Deuteronomy chapter 4. Uh, Deuteronomy 4, Moses is addressing the Israelites as they're on the brink of entering the promised land. He warns them in verses 1 through 14 to remember the words of the Lord and to obey them. In verses 15 through 26, he instructs them that idolatry is forbidden. Pick it up with me in verse 25. When you father children and children's children and have grown old in the land, if you act corruptly by making a carved image in the form of anything... And by doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord your God, so as to provoke him to anger, I will call heaven and earth to witness against you today that you will soon utterly perish from the land you are going over the Jordan to possess. You will not live long in it, but you will, but will utterly be destroyed. And the Lord will scatter you among the nations, among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord, where the Lord will drive you. This passage in Deuteronomy was written about 1405 B.C., almost 800, over 800 years before Jeremiah 29. 800 years earlier, God had told them, if you don't obey my words, if you fall into idolatry, you will be taken captive. I will scatter you from your land. God repeatedly warned his people of this. Through the prophets, to, uh, through the prophets, he warned them to keep his commands, or there would be consequences. Specifically, that they would be driven from their homeland, and they'd be taken captive. So we've seen that this passage is written to a group of people who had seen their city ravaged, their temple destroyed, the the city of Jerusalem was 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 wrecked, and they'd been taken captive to a foreign land. That, folks, is the context of Jeremiah 29.11. We've sinned. We're taken captive. God's punishing us. That's the context. These Jews were now living in Babylon, some 400 miles east of Jerusalem. They're not living there by choice. They're exiles. The Babylonians had come and torn them away from their families and friends. They'd forced them to leave their jobs and their homes and to live in a culture and a world that was completely new and foreign to them. This was certainly not anything that any of those Jews living in Babylon had planned or wanted, I'm sure. You can imagine how often these exiles must have wondered, what's next? What's next? Has the Lord forgotten about us? Did God forget us? Lord, do you even have a plan for us any longer? God didn't say these words to people standing on the brink of a happily ever after, did he? Did he? That's not the context of 29.11. He spoke these words to people whose world had just been shattered. To people who'd lost everything and were now about to lose even more. Their nation, their homes, their livelihoods, their freedoms. Even the temple where God had dwelled among them for centuries. 
All of those things had been left in ruins, covered in dust and ashes of conquest. God told these exiles, get comfortable in your new surroundings because you're going to be there for a while. You're going to be there for a while. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 29, we see the Babylonian captivity is going to last for 70 years. You're going to be captives for 70 years. That, folks, is the context of Jeremiah 29.11. It's not hard to see perhaps some similar anxiety in our world today. We're seeing a global pandemic, a devastating tornado in our community, uh, pending significant change in the leadership of our country, right? Um, what next? What's next for us? Maybe you're like me, say, God, I can't take any more. can't take any more of this. When is COVID going to end? When, when are we going to get back to normal? When can we shake hands and hug people again? Uh, when can we throw away those face masks for good, right? That's the world we're living in. What freedoms are this, is the new administration going to take away from us? We've suffered through quarantining. We've, we've suffered through face masks and restrictions for, what, maybe eight, nine months now? Imagine being taken captive and knowing that there's no end in sight for 70 years. How many of the folks that heard that message of Jeremiah 29, 11, do you think did not live to see those 70 years played out? Some of them, most of them, didn't see the end of it. So for their foreseeable future, for the rest of their lives, that's what they're facing, uncertainty. And yet God tells them, I know the plans I have for you. Um, perhaps God is saying to us in our world, get comfortable, seek the welfare of the place where I've sent you, pray for those around you, don't listen to false prophets who are going to lead you astray. When the end is in sight, I will visit you, I will fulfill my promise, and I'll bring you back to the place that I've prepared for you. Pastor Ryan said it this morning, this is not our home, right? This is not our home. We are exiles. We are exiles, just like these folks that heard the message in Jeremiah. I don't like where I'm living today. I'm not saying Seneca, I'm just saying I don't like the world that we're living in today. I don't like what I see either. But I think God says, I know I have plans for you may not happen in my lifetime, but God has plans for us. We've heard a lot of people say things like, oh, don't worry, we'll get through this, right? You've heard it? I appreciate that optimism, and when it comes from fellow Christians, I'm grateful for the encouragement to trust God's promise that he will be with us and bring us through things. But one of the things I think we need to be careful of is just getting through it. I think the bigger question for us to ask is not, what are, when are we going to return to normal but rather, what is God trying to teach us through these difficult times? Remember the words of Jeremiah 29, 11. The purpose of God's plan was to prosper them. He said, this is to prosper you. How many think going into captivity is going to prosper you? We see what's immediately in front of us, and we don't see where God's trying to prosper us, but that's what he said he was going to do. Uh, he's taken them captive in order to prosper them. He allows us to face crises in our lives, like COVID and tornadoes, in order to prosper us. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that every calamity in our lives is God's punishment for sin or for wrongdoing. But I, this much I know. 
God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He knows the end from the beginning. He is all-powerful. He controls the winds and the waves. He sets up kings and he takes them down. He guides hearts like he bends a river. There is nothing that you face in life that God has not allowed to happen. Why does he allow things like global pandemics and tornadoes and or job loss or any event to happen? I don't know. I don't always understand. If I did, then I'd be God. Thank God I'm not God. I do trust that God is good. He is good. He will accomplish what he purposes to accomplish. Let me share with you just a few of God's promises in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 46. These should be up on the screen for you. Isaiah 46 says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. Psalm 138.8. Psalm 138.8. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. Proverbs 19.21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but the purpose of the Lord, that will stand. Folks, Scripture is abundantly clear. God is sovereign and He will accomplish His will and His plan. He will use nature, He will use nations, kings and kingdoms, people and places, joyous times and calamitous times, happiness and sadness, storms and calm, pandemics and health. Whatever He chooses in order to accomplish His will and his purpose. So what was God's will and purpose to the folks that heard the message of Jeremiah 29:11? Well, what evidence do we have that allowing his people to be taken into captivity was part of his will and his plan? How do we know that that was God's plan and his will? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Well, first, let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 4, the passage we read a few minutes ago. God clearly told the Israelites through Moses that if they did not obey his word, that they would be scattered. Look at verse 27. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be left few in number among the nations where the Lord will drive you. And verse 28. And there you will serve gods of wood and stone, the work of human hands that neither see nor hear nor eat nor smell. Again, let me remind you, that warning was given 800 years prior to them being taken captive into Babylon. God is gracious and slow to anger, but he will accomplish his will in his timing. Further evidence of God at work in the captivity is found in Jeremiah 29. Look at verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles, and get this, whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. God's very clearly stating that it was through his will and his plan that they were being sent into captivity. He's not casting blame on anybody else. God's saying, I am sending you into exile. Jump down to verses 8 and 9. God tells his people not to listen to false prophets who tried to paint a rosy picture that this was all going to blow over, that 
It's all going to end soon. God says they were lying and they are not speaking for him. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Again, he's taking credit for what's happening to them. It's part of his will. In verses 10 and 11, God reiterates to them that his plan includes 70 years of captivity. Which brings us to that most well-known verse of Scripture in perhaps all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. So God clearly says, this was my will to send you into captivity, but I have a plan. I have a plan for you. So make no mistake, seeing their homes destroyed, this temple torn down, brick by brick, the city of Jerusalem ravaged and being taken was part of God's plan. So if we agree it was part of God's plan, what was his intended outcome? Again, the answers to, question, to that question could be found right in Scripture. Uh, first, let's jump back to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 4, 29 through 30. But from there from captivity, from exile, you will seek the Lord your God and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and with all your soul. When you are in tribulation and all these things come upon you in the latter days, you will return to the Lord your God and obey his voice. So God's plan, what was God's plan? What was his purpose? His plan was to allow his people to be taken captive was not just to drive them away from himself, because he hated them. No, his plan was to restore them back to himself because he loved them. Don't make the mistake of decoupling Jeremiah 29, 11 from verses 12 through 14. We take Jeremiah 29, 11 all by itself, but look at what verses 12 through 14 says, then after 70 years of captivity, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. What a beautiful picture of redemption. God has sent his children away so that they will return to him. Let me take you back. Pastor Ryan, over the last few weeks, preached through a passage in Luke of the prodigal son. I see correlations here with the story of the prodigal son. The loving father allowed his son to leave, to go and live a life of debauchery and sin. He allowed that to happen, not because he hated his son, but because he loved him. But what do we see the father doing? Watching and waiting for him to return. That's the same picture I see in Jeremiah 29. God says, I'm sending you away for a reason, for a purpose. It's part of my plan so that you will return to me in a loving fashion. I often wonder, what would have happened if the father, the the story of the prodigal son, if the father had refused the son's request? You ever think about that? If the father had said, no, I'm not giving you your inheritance. I'm still living. I'm not doing that. You're going to stay right here and you're going to do what you're supposed to do. What do you think the son would have done? I like to think he probably would have rebelled. He would have become, uh, he would have turned his heart against his father. God knew what was best. The father knew what was best in this case. And he said, all right, son, this is not good for you, but I'm going to allow it to happen because I love you and I'm going to be waiting for you to come back. 
I think if that father had said, no, I'm not going to do that, the outcome would have been drastically different. Um, God loves his children so deeply that he allows circumstances or even our own selfish desires to bring us to a place where we long for him, where we seek him and return to his waiting arms. In Luke, the, the prodigal son's father was watching and waiting, but the son first had to realize the state that he was in, and he had to make the move backwards towards his father. In Deuteronomy and in Jeremiah, the Lord says that from captivity, they're going to seek him and find him. I'm so glad that God knows better than I do. Like the prodigal son or the Israelites who thought they knew what was best for them, Finally, uh, they came to the end of themselves and they realized how desperately they needed God. They needed his wisdom, his guidance in their lives. They needed his presence in their lives. So what? Right? That's the question. So what does this mean for us? What, how do, what do we do with this that we, now that we've read through this? Scripture doesn't contain stories like the prodigal son or the Babylonian captivity just to entertain us. They are here to teach us about ourselves and more importantly about our, our need for a loving God. So what in this passage is relevant for us today? Well, first, this past year has been one like we've never seen before, right? Uh, never in my wildest dreams did I, uh, did I, would I have imagined seeing airports shut down, museums and sporting events closed, shopping malls and restaurants shut down globally. When shutdowns first began in Asia and Europe, we thought, yeah, that's, that's over there. It's not going to happen here, right? Um, our economy is too big, it's too strong, our health care system is too, is too good, it's not going to happen here. Um, I think that's what we perhaps were thinking. It's almost like a passage in Jeremiah when they were listening to false prophets who said, oh, it's going to blow over soon, it's going to be in, don't worry about it, it's all going to be good. God's saying, don't listen to them. It's going to be 70 years. Perhaps the Lord is trying to teach us not to rely on our our national economy, our stock market, our government, our healthcare system for our sense of security. God wants us to rely on him. Maybe he's trying to teach us what the, what the psalmist wrote in, in Psalm 121. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. We often have as a nation or, or individually, or how often have we as a nation or individually pushed God away because we thought we didn't need his help. It's when we see our weaknesses, when our plans for the future have, have become derailed, that we quickly realize that any hope or any future that we have relies, that relies on us is at best unstable and is always temporary. Second thing I see for us, Jeremiah 29, God told his people that, they were, that while they were in captivity, build houses, live in, your, live in them, plant gardens, eat produce, take wives, take sons and daughters, Multiply there, do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Many of us today are discouraged, we're disheartened, we're angered, we're saddened over what's happening in our country. We've seen riots in our city streets all summer. We've suffered through an ugly election season. We've seen our Capitol building breached by protesters. We're heading into an unknown and perhaps a scary future with a change in administration. We could throw up our hands in despair. 
We can crawl into our homes and hide. I know at times that's what I want to do. But I believe the message of Jeremiah 29 is relevant for us. I believe that God wants us to seek the welfare of the city, the welfare of our nation. We need to pray to the Lord on its behalf. That's what he told these folks. People, I don't know how long we're going to have to endure the effects of COVID. I don't know what the weeks and months and the next few years are going to bring. But I do believe that God wants us to live our lives in the place that he's planted us. It was by no accident that each one of us is here today, living today in 2021, experiencing what we're experiencing. It's no accident. God is sovereign. He's put us here, here and now, as part of his plan. Let me share with you another verse of scripture that has always been encouraging to me. Romans 8.18 says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. It's almost like Jeremiah 29, 11. I, I know the plans for you, but after 70 years, it's going to be 70 years. Romans 8, 18 says, we're suffering. You may be suffering today, but there's far more ahead for you. I have plans for you, God says. That glory that's going to be revealed to us. Well, a former pastor of mine said, the worst, the worst problem you're experiencing today, the worst day you've ever had in your life, I guarantee you, 100 years from now, you'll never, you won't even think about it <laughs> because you'll be with glory and glory with God. I think it's important for us as Christians to remember that the church always lives as exiles. We always live as exiles. 1 Peter 2.11 calls us sojourners or foreigners and exiles. That's what it means when we say we're in the world, but we're not of the world. We are strangers in this strange land. We don't live according to the values of the culture that we live in. We live by the values of our heavenly homeland. Being strangers and exiles here also means that God doesn't call us to work in the world from a place of power. God calls you and me and all of us to work from underneath, from the bottom up sharing the gospel, teaching people about what God's word says for us. God didn't abandon or forget his people while they were in captivity, and he hasn't forgotten us today. He hasn't forgotten us today. Let's commit to seeking the welfare of the city of Seneca, Oconee County, the nation that we live in, and the world around us until he takes us home, until he ends our captivity on this earth. Let's seek the welfare of the place where God's planted us. Lastly, if you're here this morning, if you're here this morning and you say, I, I just don't feel a closeness to God like I had before. God is feeling distant to you, perhaps. Remember that God allows his children to be taken captive, to be drawn away, the prodigal son to leave. He allows that in order to teach them that, that we need him. If that's you this morning, if you're saying, God's distant to me, then turn. Seek him with all your heart. God promises that if you do that, you'll find him. And he will restore to you what was lost. As I was preparing, one commentator that said this. He said that his seminary professor listed three, three results of the exile. Three results of the exile. One was a thorough purging of idolatrous rituals and worship 
and the acceptance of monotheism. They, it purged idolatry from the nation of Israel and brought them back to worshiping the one true God. That's number one. Number two, the rise of synagogues as teaching institutions. Folks, the church is important. We need to gather. We need to gather. I know we live in a pandemic today, but it, we, we need to gather as, as, as often as we can, and we need to do it safely. Number three, he says it brought them to a deeper longing for their Messiah. I'm sending you into captivity, but it's for your good, and it's going to help to bring you back to me, to myself. Folks, we're, in, we're exiles, and God wants us, to bring, wants us to have a deeper longing for him. I believe that the Lord has a purpose for what he's allowing us to go through, a plan that's meant to prosper us, to teach us, to bring us back to him, to give us an even greater appreciation for the, for the richness of God's grace and mercy, a plan that helps us to open our eyes to the many blessings that we take for granted. God wanted his people to know through Jeremiah that even though they were under God's judgment, that his judgment was also full of mercy. God's judgment contains the seeds of hope for a future because God only tears one thing down in order to build, up, build something else up. Perhaps you're here this morning and you've never experienced the gracious and merciful love of the Father. Maybe like the prodigal son who found himself wallowing in the, with the pigs, you realize that, that your, your life has become a sinful mess. And it leaves something to be desired. Or like the Israelites who found themselves captive, you realize that you're a captive to sin. There's a loving Father who wants to forgive you. And he wants to begin a relationship with you. Only his righteousness can cleanse you and grant you forgiveness, freedom from sin. Seek him today. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to give you a future and a hope. Understand the context of that. Tough days ahead. Tough days ahead. But God says, I'm doing this for a purpose. And that's to bring you, to draw you to myself because I love you. What are you facing today? Remember that God loves you. God has a plan for you. Let me pray as we close. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that, that you are sovereign, that you are in control, that you know the end from the beginning. that you allow adversity in our lives because we're sinful people. But God, you are gracious and merciful and long-suffering with us. And those aren't just to punish us, not just to drive us away from you, but Lord, to bring us to our knees and crawling back to you God, again, I don't know what our nation is going to face. I, I don't know what's next in store for us, but I know that you're good. I know that you're on the throne, and I know you have a plan to prosper us, to bring us home from this place that we're exiled in. Lord, help us to long for that heavenly home that you are preparing for us. I ask this in Jesus' name.
Amen. Tom.